Hello and welcome to episode 235 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the guitarist and singer from the amazing band Asylums. Yes, I'm joined by Luke Branch. Often with this podcast, I get the opportunity to interview many bands. And what I really love is when I have the opportunity to bring a band to people's attention. And sometimes you may have not heard of the band until you've heard them on Mark and Me. And for me, that's one of the best compliments. I see people tweeting, Facebook and Instagram commenting saying, I never heard of this band until I listened to this interview. And I really hope today that many of you discover the incredible band Asylums. Right now, they've just brought out a brand new album. It's called Signs of Life and genuinely is absolutely brilliant. It's only been out a few days, but I've had it on all weekend and I adore it. So when you've listened to today's interview, please go and check it out and then let me know what you think. On each and every episode of Mark and Me, and if you're new to the podcast, you may not know this, I always like to use the intro to touch base and talk about my previous episode. On episode 234, I was joined by Bob and Mike from the amazing band Gwar. I just want to say now a massive thank you to everyone that tuned in. The response was, again, absolutely fantastic. And I've seen so many comments and so many posts that have just said how much they loved it. So thanks so much. And anyone that's gone and checked out the documentary, This Is Gwar, genuinely, you're in for a treat because it's absolutely brilliant. But let's get back to today. It's all about the band Asylums. And I can't wait for you to hear this interview with me and Luke. So I think the best thing to do is get straight to it. So here's me and Luke talking all things music so luke thanks for joining me today on the mark and me podcast you are more than welcome thanks for having me it's an absolute pleasure luke what i like to do for anyone that might be tuning in for the very first time they might have never heard of asylums at all um so i want to get them to basically have a good idea about you yourself Okay. so cool. let's take it right back to the early days tell me when you were a kid maybe you were doing a part-time job or pocket money those first albums that you bought that you absolutely adored? Well, um, I was recording music off of pirate radio stations when I first got into music. And I was really into the idea that I was listening to something um, which was to a degree underground. But I really think I was enjoying that more than the music, (laughs) just that kind of subversive element to it. And um, around the same sort of time, I had a friend who, who whose dad was into records and record collecting, and he lent me Electric Ladyland, which I loved, but didn't really get do it for me. And pretty pretty shortly after that, I was lent Nevermind, uh, which is predictably, you know, an album that's, you know, kind of lots of people, you know, probably reference sometimes. But at the time, I remember just the one main thought I had when I heard that album was, every song on this album is incredible yeah and then around the same time i listened to bills uh, pills thrills and belly aches which had been out a long time you know it didn't hadn't just come out or anything both of these albums had been out a long time when i heard them and i felt the same way about that album but i was really drawn to the lyrics in on that album a lot and i think those two albums uh the kind of just songwriting on nevermind and the kind of lyrics and packaging, actually, and just the whole world of that Pillsfields and Belly Aches record just drew me in. And and I think, yeah, they were the two that really just sort of got me interested, firstly, in record collecting, but then uh, a little bit later on, but not too late on, actually playing guitar and starting to try and write songs. 
Nevermind was a, an amazing album for me. And I remember even at the last stages of primary school, I had a pencil case and I remember carving into it with a compass, uh, the little smiley Nirvana, Nevermind, you know, the little yellow face. Mm -hmm. And I, I can definitely, you know, I'm not trying to sound cool. I really did listen to them at the age of sort of 10 and 11. And my parents were good enough to kind of send me off to have guitar lessons. And the first thing I ever learned was Polly on the acoustic, because uh, it's four chords like most yeah. Nirvana songs. But it made me realize that I could play songs like my idol at the time, Kurt Cobain, that weren't that complicated. Yeah, I had the same experience, you know. It's kind of like, you know, maybe I'll get a guitar and, and, and then I sort of taught myself to play it and the four chords thing was definitely a big factor. I had the same sort of um, feeling to go back to the happy mondays thing as well was just like that it wasn't really singing that i was listening to it was just some ambiguous other thing that was happening it was it wasn't really rapping it wasn't really singing it was just expression in some way shape or form so I found that quite empowering as well i mean as far as gigs go um i think it's then that realization that the record you've bought can actually be played in front of you and it blows my mind when you, you went to these early gigs for me green day it was on their dookie tour i got to see them at wolverhampton and i was like fucking hell like how are three people playing that song so well so tight and just like the the, the tape that i had bought on in my walkman on the way can you remember those first gigs you went to where you were like i don't know maybe your ribs shook and your the hairs on your neck used to stick up and you used to think this is what i want to do yeah, I mean, I was always a bit um, of a, I still am to a degree quite shy and I, d I didn't go out a lot when I was growing up. I used to draw and um, listen to music at home and just generally try to stay out of people's way for quite a few years at school. But then a friend of mine actually ended up being in the horrors. We were friends at school and um, we went to uh, one of the early V concerts, which was in Essex. And even though it's kind of a commercial festival, not that I had any grasp of that at the time, but Beck was like the penultimate act on the bill and it was the Odelay period and he had this colourful backdrop thing. And I remember the DJ that was on stage scratched smoke on the water and he was like doing the splits and just like it was this mashup of like almost like Beastie Boys type you know kind of organic looped stuff with like gr a great band and then this sort of almost like James Brown quality mixed in with that and I was just like what is this I love this and just love the visual presentation of it and and then it was uh I think the project we were on afterwards and I just you know I remember kind of Keith Flint um jumping into the crowd at the beginning of the set and just not getting back on stage for the whole set more or less just was torn to shreds when he got back on and just know for me just like i grew up in this really quiet town just which was nothing more than just like car showrooms and just like a f the woods and just nothing really just this nothing town in essex called hadley and um for me it was just like wow i was at v on that same year but it was at western park they did it over two different sides yeah. didn't they uh there's bands like I think like Travis and Faithless and all those sort of indie bands over the last kind of two or three years, and um, God, it I can't I completely forgot about V Festival. Honestly, it's like it was good fun. I know it was a bit commercial, like you said, but I loved it. I love the fact you could go and see sort of Coldplay and Radiohead and all these bands that were not quite 
you know, had not quite got to the realms of what they are now, you know? Uh, yeah, I was, you know, kind of, and having it like in Essex, I think, I don't, I don't believe there'd been anything on that scale in Essex, uh, in that era. And, and it was like, you know, 20 minutes or so from where I lived and half an hour from where I lived. And, you know, yeah, just, it was just inspiring really. I mean, like, I remember because we mentioned Nirvana, you know, I think, uh, the Foo Fighters played that day and, uh it was like the color and the shape era pat smear was in the band wow. i know he's again now but he left for a while afterwards i believe and it was just like yeah for me i was like oh my god like that's dave Grohl. like you know i can see him in real life uh and it was just it's too much man i also remember kind of getting that a lift to that show and with reese's parents because he was already there he had the two-day ticket and i was just uh slumming it with the one day I went with his parents and we listened to uh, Forever and Ever Amen by uh, Ben Folds Five all the way there. And I remember thinking, these are great songs as well. Yeah. So, um, but th that was their record collection. And yeah, I just, yeah, it was kind of like a magical 24 hour period. And then I went back to work at Iceland. And then it's like the, <laughs> the kind of reality kicks in when yeah. someone's coming yeah. and asking you what aisle the frozen prawns are on yeah of which i wouldn't have had any idea because i wasn't paying <laughs> attention for the entire duration of my tenure <laughs> so at what point did it become a reality that you wanted to then i mean you said that you weren't very confident at school and you're quite shy but what point is that you're thinking do you know what? i want to get with some like-minded musicians and start having a jam were you that guy at school that was in battle of the bands or college or was it a bit later on i um kind of was in bands at school but i never had a kind of prominent role um i kind of started playing there was like a little group of us um and, and everybody was playing and i kind of i'm quite young in the year and i started playing a bit later than everyone else but seemed to have like an abundance of enthusiasm um and kind of a, a weird interest in sort of like i would be like looking up like kind of record labels i was i remember going up to foods offices and sort of getting interested in that you know, as well as bands and just this whole exotic world of music that was in London. And I was so close to London. So, so uh, but to answer your question, you know, so I'd, I wasn't a prominent member of any of those bands, but then I, I did a project for a very short period of time. Uh, we made, it was like a studio project and a friend of mine started managing me and sent it to in the city festival and we got selected to be like one of the 50 bands to play which sort of at the time was quite a big deal and sort of meant that maybe you were one of the 50 best bands in the country or something you know that's awesome really, at least it felt like that's what it yeah. meant and, and i was so young i just didn't know shit from clay man so i just was like wow really i don't even know what we're doing but i had written the songs in that project um and um you know, I sort of went and did it. And um, I remember getting hit up by Deceptive Records who had done the Elastica and Idol, and I think the first Idlewild release. And, and they were sort of expressing some interest shortly before the thing imploded. But I kind of got my little, my, my kind of little dream of maybe like being being involved in some way, shape or form in, in, in a slightly more, uh, you know, v exciting world than the world of my hometown I sort of got a little glimpse at it and I I, I was interested uh to say the least so uh, that's kind of where I started to develop a more serious interest in maybe doing music long term but I have to say my dad's a painter and for me it's creativity is like 
at the core of my being I just sort of through the years I just explained to you I kind of like pivoted from being more interested in visual art and probably better at visual art I ended up just like switching at a point and just focusing on music and poetry and it was a slow uh, kind of transition really so as someone who's been quite open and honest with me today and said that you know you still are quite a shy person you know you, you know it's uh probably easier to to hide away than go out and show your face to the world at times um being in a band and being the front man and the vocalist and guitarist do you find it a struggle to kind of be the face of the band and go on stage and you've talked about some of these bands like keith flint who's in the crowd and you obviously want to leave an impression but that must be a battle if you kind of sometimes are a bit like a bit more reserved and don't want to be out there you know it's a really hard question to answer if I'm honest, and I'm still trying to unpack it mentally um, because there's like two components to it. I think I love creating things so much that I'm willing to put myself through it Yeah. in order to make, um, so to give, to, to put life into the project and to, to, and I, and I love, I love. I probably wouldn't be necessarily suited to doing solo work in the traditional sense, because I like to be among a band, and I and I and I'm fairly happy if someone else in that band is seen as a more central figure than even I am. And I, you know, and I and I play in another band too, where I take a secondary role, and I do film film soundtrack work where my personality isn't up front and center. But but I really do like the craft of performance as well and and i sort of see any participation in the public um space as performance yeah and um and if i can frame it that way for myself then it's not really um me in in some ways I, you know i can i can kind of step S- into switch off and kind of switch into a different kind of not even just a thought but a, as a I don't know, like a different persona, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's, do you remember that great album by Mogwai, uh, Come On Die Young, that starts with... Um, Unbelievable album. Love that album. It was a big, big one for me growing up. Uh, kind of got me out of the 90s um, in one record. I think I bought a Square Pusher record the same day, so those two together. But Wow. Any, anyway, I mean, um, yeah, just, you know, there's a quote, from, from Iggy uh, on the first track isn't there called punk rock and it and it says you know it's a space where you don't feel pleasure and you don't feel pain and I I, identify, I can identify with that so what do you do differently do you tell yourself that because it's part of the overall creativity of being in a band and being a songwriter that you kind of just you've got to do that you know it's part of the job not in a chorey kind of way no it's no. more like I just I've, I have a ability and I always have had the ability to switch off and just go on instinct. And I do that when I'm writing songs or painting or drawing. And I just do it when I'm on stage too and just, just forget everything really. And I get a lot out of performance for that reason, really, because it's just very pure escapism. And sometimes something real will happen that, you know, like I'll not, you know, my bandmates will testify to this. I'll often like knock a drink over or like pull my, guitar pedal out or from time to time something like that will happen and it's just because i'm not really i'm just in another realm man and i don't don't know i don't know i've never said this to anyone but in my formative years i used to swim 
for Essex and then you know I took it to quite to a national level right up to the age of about 14 and it was a solitary thing but with swimming you have this kind of like submerged sensory deprivation thing where like you know you know your ears yeah you know kind of you know kind of you don't hear things quite properly and you you can't see things quite properly and you're just in this inner realm and like I would say that like when I play music I sometimes go somewhere which feels like it was when I used to do that which is this sort of you know just in a zone world which is and I, you know, I'm not overly conscious of certain things, and I, but I find it really rewarding. I've really missed it through through the last few years when it's not been possible. So, yeah, it's just a switch, really. Just to just to kind of, yeah, it's just that I I'm able to just access some for some reason. And as a band, is your mentality to kind of get as many shows as you can? So, I know you're trying to always make a name for yourself and get heard by a new audience. So any kind of support slot, do you try and do everything you can that even if it's just one or two people that night buy a t-shirt or a vinyl or go home and just, you know, go on Spotify and listen to you. Are you always trying to use any opportunity to get heard? No, not really. I mean, Asylums is a strange product, a project in that regard. And so is Cool Thing Records, which is, the label that we formed in conjunction with the band yeah um, and and so we had done other projects and you know toured and you know been part of i would sort of like describe it as the more centralized music business and asylums uh was born out of failure in some regards although that has a negative connotation to the word failure is like we hadn't uh kind of succeeded in our individual personal missions in other projects to kind of make it our job i suppose and the the ecosystem of being an artist in music had metamorphosized into something unrecognizable from when i was a teenager and it required lots of different things um, to make work. And when we started Asylums, the kind of basic thing was we wanted to get back to playing music for the same reasons that we started playing music, which was uh, to have fun, only to have fun and to pick it up and put it down as we saw fit. And so that's where the label came from. I saw it for me as like my ultimate attempt to try and create music that was like in line with my taste and in line with my ability um and wanted to do it with friends and and collaborate and and hopefully it meant to them what it meant to me too so we did that but we formed in a very strange way where we kind of had these duo meetups and then i just remember the first time we got in a room as four of us we played like a 12 song set and it just sounded really good for the and we and it wasn't premeditated it we we didn't work at it we ju- it just slotted together just like this perfect puzzle and um ever since really the reason i'm giving you all this context is we just tried to stay true to that uh like kind of genesis of it and we just i've described it this way in the past but i'll do it again it just for us it's like a uh kind of a, an art exhibition type thing that we don't mind paying for materials for but we don't expect to glean a living from it and we don't expect really anything other than to try to make more uh, work 
and that philosophy has kind of bled into how we view the label and how we built the roster there and um you know we do an arts advocacy radio show called cool thing presents on soho radio which is in line with those values too so um in terms of trying to like maybe like climb up uh, an imaginary ladder towards like mass appeal those years are gone and it's we just want to leave a good body of work really i think is at the core of it do you know that sounds really healthy because i interview bands every day and i've been in a band and everyone strives to be that headline act at a festival or get a million downloads or streams and it's so refreshing to hear you basically not give yourself all these targets or kind of as a band have to kind of get milestones you you're doing it because you want to do it and there's no expectations for the four of you you're just producing work you want to produce on your terms that's the that's the genuine truth um there was a moment on the first album where we were so unbelievably shocked by what was happening you know like we had we decided we took it so far uh that mark that we didn't even want to do social media i even put the term post social media in our press release and um created this weird thing where we made a demo tape that you could download from a website and it had my phone number on it and i had major labels calling me and like it was just like honestly you couldn't if you'd have planned it klf style you know you it wouldn't it couldn't have gone any better in some ways and you know it was just so jarring and, you know, I, I couldn't believe we were being played on the radio. And it was so there was a moment we were like, maybe we should, you know, maybe our, should we, you know, change our philosophy on things? And there were a few months where we wrestled with that. And then we ultimately kind of thought, no, we know what will happen. We're not cut out <laughs> to, to headline festivals. You know, we're not cut out to tour endlessly. We're not, we're certainly not cut out to, um, you know, sort of almost bring more people into the creative process in terms of quality control or, or input unless they're friends. Um, and, and so we just tried to keep working with people we were considered to be friends and build, yeah, just build the infrastructure, build, build out from that idea. I love it. I, it's really refreshing to hear. And, uh, I think it means you'll carry on doing it when you want to do it. There's going to be no pressure. And for that reason, you haven't got that kind of worry of, oh shit, we've got a label ringing us and we need to get a a song out by next week. You can just do it, do it and just enjoy it. Take the best bits of being in a band without all the pressure. And you can take kind of really extreme risks as well, which I've found enjoyable. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and also nerve wracking. You know, on the last album, we got a PRS grant, uh, the Momentum Fund, and you know that sort of enabled us to make a record, a record, um, which you know we did the recording um, with Steve Albini in uh, Chicago, and then we kind of marketed it um, using some of that budget and stuff. And then on this record, Mike and I, you know, in the label, pulled some sort of things off which allowed us to have some capital uh we weren't expecting to have you know uh just through doing some some kind of um 
work in other areas of the music business, you know, which was great fun. Um, and then, so we were able to sort of like bring a string quartet in for signs of life on fourth tunes and, you know, on paper, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like, you know, these are, I remember the day that we um, recorded the strings. I think my personal, you know, kind of financial risk that day was approaching, you know, as well over a thousand pounds and I'm not a rich man. So, but it, but it all worked, you know, we planned it out and we, we, were able to execute it with Dave Eringer's help. Um, and so I only give you all these things because, you know, I really can see now, like in the history of music, where people have been able to do things their way. Um, good things can come out if you can just be, you know, if you can just sort of um, dream it up and then just not bottle it, you know. Um, and, you know, I kind of think back to sort of bands that I loved when I was young and I really, I love the idea of after all the failure of Paul's Boutique um, for the Beastie Boys that they regrouped and created that Grand Royale and then just created this whole chapter, which is superior in my humble opinion to the, even the music that had come before. It was such a great run of albums they had when they had their own studio and stuff. And, you know, it's just one example, but like, you know, it, I feel like a lot of good stuff can come if, 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 if things stay pure, you know? And to get into it with Dave Erringer, I mean, he's done, was it Manic Street Preachers? That's the first. Um, he, he has worked with Manic, yeah. He's produced with Manic, yeah. yeah. What a great, what a great talent to work with. Yeah, he's been a friend of ours since I was, you know, maybe 18. Um, Mike, who plays bass in Asylums, and I had both recorded with him in different, projects and we'd maintain friendships all through the years and um you know i think because of the pandemic and and everything you know we started thinking more about a studio record which you know may or may not have been toured heavily and and, and we, we were we were thinking about like rem and how they did great work with like out of time and automatic for the people and like how those they didn't tour those records they made them like you know really studio things and we, we, we were thinking about who we would work with. And Dave's got this, you know, he's amazing talent. He's got a great relationship with Rockfield. He, know, he knew a string section. I tried to explain what we wanted to do. And, and then he just helped us put that whole scenario together. And, 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 and because of the pandemic, I think, not just the musical choices, which I just mentioned, it was also an opportunity for us to reconvene as a band. And, and Dave is like family to us. So it just... It, when we did it, what it did really did feel like just like some sort of medicine, you know, like just to get into the countryside and to have these like experiences musically that were a bit different to what we'd done in the past and be surrounded by cows and, you know, just to eat dinner together. And it's just what we all needed really. I think like a big family project. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't sound too rock and roll or something, but like I was craving it so much. And I know the others were, it was like so much isolation, so much kind of same four walls. Um, it just felt like, do you know what I mean? We've been in a Tupperware box for a year and then all of a sudden we were just, you know, kind of out in the open air again and stuff. And that was a beautiful thing to, and it offered a real contrast to going to Chicago and recording albeit just as exciting and cool but it, it was almost the polar opposite scenario um musically and in terms of environment 
I lived in the city for 20 years and over the last couple of years, I'm now literally in the most rural part of Shropshire you could ever imagine. And uh, I'm not lying to you. It's the best therapy. It's the best uh, healing of any way mentally. And honestly, it's I. there's nothing better in the world than being in the outdoors where there's a field and I can just walk with my wife and the dogs and just relax. Yeah. And there's nothing better for my soul. Uh, if I can get to go to the beach, which isn't too far away and walk along the sea, it doesn't sound rock and roll, but I'd never in the world trade that for America or city life again. This, this is the way that life should no, be. I can really relate to what you're saying, man. It's like, I don't know. It's just changed things. You know, I used to, I couldn't wait to get up to London, you know, and, you know, get into the, you know, kind of, action if you want to call it that but um yeah i stayed in the countryside over the summer for a few weeks and they took my son swimming in the ocean and i don't know man just like you know nothing beats you know it. and you can you know it's right you know write music still kind of you know be productive it's nothing to do with productivity it's, it's got everything to do with just trying to find some peace you know just trying to find it a is bit of peace in your soul nothing's a battle either like i can just go to the shop i haven't got to worry about battling to get on a train and everyone being really rushed and sweaty and hot and everything's at fast forward tempo and i'm like i can do what i want when i want honestly it's it's the most healing thing i can ever recommend is just walking along a beach or going for a walk and it sounds so lame i'm 40 years old but i fucking adore it and i wouldn't honestly swap it for anything. Do you meditate I've done yoga over the last sort of six months. Uh, me and my wife go once a week and I get to switch off and I find it the only time that there's no one asking me a question or I'm not wearing headphones or <laughs> I'm not listening to music. And it's the, it really opened up my eyes to the first time that I could switch yeah. off. And people think switching off is just sitting in front of Netflix. That's not switching off. You're then absorbed into a TV show or what's going on or the plot. It's switching off where you can hear your own heartbeat. You can see your breath you can be aware of how much you're inhaling and that's done me wonders but not proper meditation i've heard a lot of people I had incubus on recently and brandon boyd was talking heavily about it um but it's definitely something that i know is the next step for me oh well yeah i could, I could thoroughly thoroughly make, uh, recommend it and and uh, you yeah, but like yoga's great too and you know as you, you know you described you know can't you cut creative as well and it's like and you're right, you know, sitting in front of Netflix is is fine and everything, but it's it's more input and it's like I'm someone that if I don't work at it, I'm not in the moment. Like like I yeah. said at the beginning with that switch off thing, you know, I can something's like on my mind that's like troubling me. It can I can disappear into an imaginary world of of just that problem and and you know be there for a while even and my life's just playing out in front of me and i can also do it with positive things too and meditation is just like almost like an anchor at the beginning and at the end of the day to just make sure that i'm not missing what's really happening and and it's a huge it's a benefit it's a benefit sometimes when you're being creative because you disappear into the thing that you're doing <clears throat> but um you know it's really important to be present isn't it you know and i think yoga Definitely. meditation and if you can't even maybe even not even just that just you know just just like walking and just 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 no input for a moment just just prop more just yeah. sit just sit in a room for a 
10 minutes 10 minutes doesn't sound long yeah. but it is when it's just you and you're you're not doing anything yeah. and i mean anything don't then pick up your phone and look on twitter i'm talking switch everything off and just sit there with yourself yeah yeah and i don't know how you find it but i always come back to whatever i'm working on with with the answer but i don't look for the answer during the during the meditation it's just so fucking true like I'm not aware of that until you say it out loud. And then I realize like, oh, I can't do this edit. I'm sick of it. I've been doing it for too long. Go away. That's not my purpose. Go away to try and find the solution. But it comes without even, even thinking about That's it. That's exactly it, you know. And if you spend a lot of time doing creative work, you know, it's just like a really great tool. Um, and it's just really great for overall well-being. And, you know, you know, I, I'm completely like straight edge, you know. So it's like, you know, it's nice to have something, you know, it's like, yeah. um, there's just a place you can go. <laughs> yeah. I'm vegetarian now. I don't smoke any weed anymore. I haven't for years. Um, a drink is literally just, I've no, I haven't been drunk for, for sounds so boring now, five years. I'll have a casual beer or cider at a weekend just to have as a, as a luxury. And my life just feels a lot purer. And, uh, to be aware of my own thoughts and not kind of let let them go elsewhere because of toxic or other stuff. Honestly, it's I need to be like this. It's the only way I'll survive now. Well, power to you, man. And like you know, I don't know. I, I've just noticed that kind of since I don't drink or anything like that, like my appetite for you know the kind of things that I used, you know you know reading, <laughs> listening um stopping it's only just got you know more like richer or something you know but i don't have anything against any of you know, you know the, the, no, the craziness not. and all that you know stuff you know i've been there done that you know uh but um but something has certainly shifted for me you know and like you know but i i i, I think you know maybe having, having a child as well sort of gave me a different perspective on the future and um, it's a nice reason to try harder to be the best you can. It's nice to hear, and it's also nice to say it out loud, isn't it? <laughs> Hopefully your listeners. <laughs> well, they've, just... they've turned yeah. off 10 minutes ago. They're like, oh, they're not talking about being in a band anymore. Fuck these no, guys. no, like being in a band is great. Um, rock and roll uh, uh, kind of carnage. Uh, is an acquired taste and some people would dig it some people won't dig it exactly and i still love going to gigs i go to festivals i feel old now i went to leeds this year saw arctic monkeys and i felt like people were about to say you're here to pick up your kids <laughs> i'm like no i'm i'm here to enjoy the band but <laughs> yeah yeah um i've kind of reverted back to the my uh, my teenage self of being you know quite uh quite a homebody and you know i love i can't wait to go out and play some shows uh, we've got you know, shut rough trade. Um, yeah, you've got a busy week next week. Yes, yeah, so, you know, kind of, and I'm, I'm all for it, you know. Um, but, you know, I had a rehearsal a couple of nights ago with the guys and, you know, Henry lives in London and he comes all the way down here and we rehearse and sometimes I go up there and I just, it was just a great night just even rehearsing, you know, but, um, you know, running the label and stuff as well over the last eight or so years, but particularly this, this last year, you know, it's kind of... Um, you know, there's been a lot of like logistical kind of like, you know, I was thinking today, like, cause someone asked me last night in a different interview, 
what things were like. And I was like, it's kind of like Purple Rain. If you take out all the scenes where he's at home writing and like splice in Darren Aronofsky's pie uh, into those scenes, you know, so it's kind of like a lot of like at the computer analysis and all, you know, kind of trying to solve problems and then (laughs) then the gigs, you know. (laughs) That's amazing. My my final question for you today, and I do this with everyone that's been on the podcast. There's over 200 people now. Um, I ask the guests to pick the outro song. So it doesn't have to be one of your own. I find that quite arrogant if a band's like, okay, I'll pick my <laughs> song. I'm like, fucking hell, this is, you can pick anything you want, but it's either a song or a piece of music that means a lot to you. Now, once all this is edited and out there for the world to listen to, that final piece of music will play after I've done the outro. And it's very personal because it's your choice, but... If you think about it too hard, I think you you won't be able to whittle it down to just one. And as a musician, you've probably got 20 in your head right now. But is there one that comes to that forefront that's really important to you that when I asked the question, maybe it was the first one you thought of? I do have two, but I'll I'll stick okay. with one. Um, we can toss a coin if you want. That's cool. Yeah, like my go-to is like Blue and Green by Miles Davis, but I'm going to go with The Ballad of Dorothy Parker by Prince, which is one of my favourite pieces of... Um, music just totally weird squelchy nocturnal otherworldly strange imagery in the lyrics weird but great tunes weird's the word and i love that because people will listen to that and go what the fuck and then you listen to more prints and be like oh okay <laughs> yeah right it's kind of like uh i don't know i like i love all the high ends rolled off everything and it just i think there's some mistakes in the recording from what i've read and it just sounds amazing but I love that. I love the fact there's errors. It's human, isn't it? It's how it should yeah. be. Um, Joni was singing, uh, help me. I, I, I think I'm falling. The phone rings and she said, who's calling? What a weird lyric. Fucking amazing. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that. Well, I'm going to listen to it anyway because I'm going to put it on this in this episode. But uh, that'll then send me down a, a big Prince fucking probably weekend of listening. But um Honestly, dude, this has been quite deep, quite heavy, and I love that. And uh, I wasn't expecting this. So uh, thank you so much for coming You're welcome, on. Mark. Thanks for having me. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Luke from the amazing band Asylums. And as I said at the start of today's interview, their brand new album called Signs of Life is out now. It's really good. Go and buy yourself a vinyl. Go and listen to it however you can. Stream it. And if you get an opportunity to go and see them live and they don't play often, go and do it. Because honestly, they're one of the best bands out there right now. I thought Luke was an amazing guest and we hit it off straight away. I loved his chemistry. I loved how deep and how honest he was with me and really trusting in me. And this for me makes a great interview. And I really hope we can get Luke back on the podcast in the very near future. If you've enjoyed today's episode, these podcasts will and will always be free. But all I ask in return for you listening today is to share it on your network. That could be Facebook, maybe Twitter or even Instagram. I keep saying it on every episode because it's crucial for Mark and me to get the word out there and cost me absolutely nothing. So if you're on Twitter, why not just hit that retweet button when you see this episode? Why not on Facebook put it as your update or share it? And why not on Instagram just put it on your stories? It really goes a long way and each and every week I see more and more people doing it. Don't think I don't notice these things. And then I see loads of new people following. I see loads of people checking out the podcast. And for me, that's the best way to get the word out there. So please keep on doing it. 
I also have a Patreon page, and to allow the podcast to be on stuff like Amazon, Podomatic, Spotify, it all costs money, and for doing that, I have a Patreon page. It's literally on the link of markandme.com, and for as little as £1 a month, you're guaranteed at least two episodes a week, an exclusive badge as soon as you sign up, some announcements straight to you before the general public, and starting this month, yes, you're going to get an exclusive episode just for being on Patreon that the public won't hear, only you guys at home. Also, thanks to my good friends at Richer Sounds, I have prizes that I get to give away each and every month, and that's just to say thank you for supporting the podcast. So the link is on markandme.com, and genuinely, I really need all the support I can get, because this podcast earns no money, and it all goes right back into the podcast if you sign up. I'll be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode, so until then, please look after yourself, take care, listen to Asylums, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Another bubble bath, my pants on, all the fighting's